All right, we got to move. There's a there's an emergency scheduled episode of the talk show. Matthew Panzerino is kind enough to shuffle his schedule. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday night. We got a baseball game coming up. Big important wild card game with the the Giants and the, the Mets. Uh, I've got travel plans this weekend that have been rescheduled because there's apparently a hurricane that is coming towards the United States. And so we could either record a short episode right now, short for the talk show, or uh, probably no episode until next week. So anybody who looks at the the time on this and says, wow, that's too short, well, it's better than nothing. (laughs) And for those of you who've been begging for shorter episodes of the show, here you go. It's a gift just for you. You're welcome. Thank the wild card uh, race. Yeah, all right. I'm not got, a Giants fan, but my family is. So. Yeah, yeah. You got to watch. Yep, and it's a West Coast team. You know, it's the hometown team, so you got to watch anyway. I tell people this. I'm sure you know this because I also know you're a uniform nerd. Um, mm-hmm. I tell people this, and it blows people's minds, even baseball fans, that the Mets, the, the the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants left New York within like a year of each other. I think it was like I don't know, 1959 right. or 60. And it left New York, which used to have two National League teams with no National League teams. And so they created the Mets to fill the void left behind by both teams. And because it was two teams, the Mets colors are Dodger blue and Giants orange. And mm-hmm. I tell people this and they're, they're like, no, they're not. And then they go look at the Mets uniforms <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, that's weird. And I'm like, ah, and don't you think it's two. a little weird? Don't you think it's a little weird that those colors don't really go that well together? <laughs> Yeah, that that one was a crime of expediency. Uh, there was no there was no careful designer behind that one. I don't think. No. Uh, and it's you know the other color for the Dodgers are the Giants at least is black, which doesn't really you can't really mix with anything. So it was really the you know as long as you were going to go with this idea, which was a sketchy idea, I think in the first place. But there you go. There's you know what it reminds me of, and this is it's like not the same colors, but. It reminds me of the the mellow yellow car in Days of Thunder because those colors are so <laughs> awful. But it's just, it's just like it reminds me of a of a color scheme that would be on a NASCAR car, like uh, you know, or like a late late nineties NASCAR car. You know, they're like they're more sedate these days. Yeah. Who do you like in a game tonight? Uh, I think that you know, I think the Giants will pull it out. They tend to they tend to somehow. By hook or crook, they tend to like react better under pressure and come through. And you know, I never count Bumgarner out. You know, Bummy's uh, just an amazing pitcher. I mean, he's a he's a beast. So Syndergaard, can't count him out. Syndergaard for pitching for the Mets is one of the best pitchers in baseball. You can't go wrong with him. The Mets have got to like their chances. Mm-hmm. But I think right now, given the last three four years of baseball in a big game, I don't think anybody's better than Bumgarner. I mean, the record. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean the the World Series their last World Series win was just insane you know when yeah, he's he, like no just it's just clo- put me back in I'll it, do it. it it was as close the the one they won two years ago was about as close as you can get to a to a single person a one man winning the World Series for his team it's mm-hmm. it's really that's you know there's no other way to put it I I really hope the Giants lose at some point though because I, I if they win the goddamn World Series again and that this every other year they what they would have won it in yeah every other year twelve twelve no no 14. ten ten twelve fourteen sixteen yeah yeah sorry yeah ten twelve fourteen sixteen right mm-hmm. right and then you know they're gonna finish in last place next year. yeah exactly <laughs> and they're gonna be insufferable too right. you know like all of the fans would be insufferable yeah. I mean I. I 
look, hey, I love the Warriors. You know, I love Steph Curry, and I, I, I wish they would have won. But I'm almost kind of glad <laughs> they didn't win because if they won and the Giants won in the same year, it would just be impossible. I it just be impossible. And they did take it to unsufferable levels because there was a story. I forget who published it. It might have been Business Week, but I don't know. Some, it wasn't even a sports publication, but somebody had a piece on the on the Warriors while they were still months away from the playoffs about how mm-hmm. Silicon Valley geniuses have have no, un, right. you know beaten the NBA yeah. at its own game and created an unbeatable yeah. team. And it's like, uh, take it easy, guys. <laughs> Yeah, it, that was a, that was a pretty remarkable piece of PR placement. I was I was pretty staggered by that. <laughs> one thing, and I, you know, you're a Yankees fan too. I think one thing all Yankees yeah. fans can agree on is that we do not like insufferable fans who gloat over <laughs> right. championships. Right, because we're so humble and salt of the earth. I exactly, mean, that's our calling card for it, sure. Exactly. <laughs> uh, who else do you like in the baseball playoffs? I, I got to say, I'm going to go with the obvious answers. And it really, I'll pick first, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say sure, yeah. Cubs. And I'm, I really hate to say the following two words Red Sox. Red Sox. Hmm. But then hmm. I hope the Cubs beat the Red Sox. I, that would, to me, would be delicious. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. I mean, the Cubs, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think the Red Sox is probably my number one pick. And I would really detest it if the, the Dodgers won, but they've been playing so incredibly well. Yeah. Aside from these last three games, which the Giants just destroyed them. You yeah. Know? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think we could see either one of those. I think that – well, I watched them because I was watching to see the Vince Scully uh, telecasts. And it just looked to me like the Dodgers – I know they were still fighting for, for you know, home field and stuff like that. They're, it wasn't like the games didn't matter. But they had mm-hmm. already – once they'd locked up that they were – going to be the you know the middle they weren't going to catch the cubs so they weren't going to get to play the wild card team and i feel like right. home field wasn't enough to really fire them up they they played flat mm-hmm. yeah i think so i mean it was it was kind of you know bittersweet too i mean you have vince scully coming in um you know doing calling those games those last games in san francisco it was so it was so cool to see and it was just like hey man you know win one first <laughs> win one for vin but i guess not well, and they got it on the the last Dodger game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, the, I mean, the last home that's game true. for the Dodgers. So the last right, home game right. for the Dodgers was one with a dramatic walk off home run that Scully got to call. Yeah, that's true. So that's I feel true. like and they it does. Yeah, it's his park and everything. Yeah, yeah. they got that out yeah. of their way. Right. Uh, anyway, as we speak, literally the, the the start of this podcast was the the last holdup was big breaking news uh, by you. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Samsung acquired Viv, which is the company created by uh, or founded by Dag Kitlaus, Adam Scheer, and Chris Brigham, um, who all worked on Siri, which was acquired by Apple in 2010. So they create they left in 2012. Well, over the years, several of them left, but um, Dog left in 2012. Founded uh, uh, Viv, which is a next gen AI. And then uh, worked on that for several years and has just sold it to Samsung. Uh, which is, I think, is sort of, they were either, I hate to say it, I'm not, I'm not going to say that they were built to be sold, but I think it is the, and we can get to Google's announcements, we will get to Google's announcements later in the show, but I feel like these sort of AI systems, assistant systems, are fundamentally have to be built into the, the devices. You can't just be an app, 
right? And and right as a standalone company, that's what Viv would have been. Is you know you have to launch the Viv app and then do your stuff. And you could there's some cool you know that's how Siri started too. But the, everybody is moving in the direction of integrating these things into a system level so that you can address the you know whether it's so you can say to the device, "Hey Dingus, you know I'm you know go." get me an Uber, whatever the, the need may be, right. or to just have access to a button like the way that the new Google Assistant works with a long press on the home button and the same way that mm-hmm. Siri works, et cetera. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think with Viv, I talked to Doug uh, quite a bit. You know, we I interviewed him in um, May at our conference in New York, and uh, I had talked to him a little bit previously, obviously in the run-up and, you know, kind of get the feel for... Um, what to talk about on stage and their their philosophy and he said some of this on stage too it's not like private information or anything but he said that they want to you know they wanted to launch the app as a sort of proof of concept mm-hmm. right but that their vision was the viv button in every app next to every search bar etc cetera, etc cetera. and i you know at the time and i told him this you know that's like incredibly optimistic right because everybody is sort of in um, introducing their own systems of this type, specifically because they don't want to be disintermediated by, you know, somebody else's system, right? Apple, in, you know, introduced Siri for a variety of reasons, but one of those reasons is it, you go to Google less with it, right? You go to you go out to some competitor's product less with it, and the. With Apple, it's a little different equation. You know, you're slicing in the pie a little different because it doesn't necessarily make its money when you do a Google search and click on an ad, right? right? But it it does compete with device makers like Samsung and other folks who are trying to, you know, carve out a, a piece of people's life, you know, and lock them in, into a system that says, "Look, I, I know so much about you. Uh, I I know." all of these things that I need to know to, to serve you well and to do the things you want me to do with efficiency. Why would you ever leave? Why would you ever go? You know, why do, why do you want to do that? And I think that that is like an insurmountable or, or will be insurmountable very, very soon as far as, you know, customer lock-in and like a third entrant into the system. So honestly, this is a good time for them. I mean, he said this is about ubiquity because Samsung yeah. has, you know, 500 million devices or whatever, which, you know, that's a fair statement. Like if you want to be ubiquitous, what are you going to do? Who are you going to go to? There's only four companies and three of them have their own already. You know what I mean? Yep. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it was destined to be acquired by somebody, whether it would be Apple or Google or Amazon or Microsoft who would buy them to integrate with what they're already working on or someone like Samsung, who is the biggest example I can think of who just had this glaring hole in their own, you know, technology that they own that, that, that plays this game. So I'm I'm kind of, I don't know any, I've never met the guy. So, but just from my armchair quarterback position across the continent, it, I'm, I think this is huge news, but I'm not the least bit surprised that Samsung bought them. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I think it's it's definitely if you were to have asked me a couple of days ago, you know, who which which company would buy Viv, you know, that like I said, there's only a handful and I was telling this to somebody else and they were like, "Oh, I don't know, you know, if if they're so far along that they couldn't have been helped by Viv, you know, by Viv's team." And I think that it's true that Amazon or Google or Apple could definitely have have utilized Viv's technology and expertise, right? Cuz they've got an insane team. Uh but at the same time, they've already sort of made their bed and now they have to build on top of that bed and this isn't the time to be st- 
taking that bed and throwing it out and purchasing a new bed, you know? And I think that that is, it's a, a simplistic analogy, but AI systems like this that need to be trained and integrated are not like plug and play. You know, you don't just kind of buy one and then insert yeah. it. Um, AI as a, as a concept is an additive concept. So you can sort of pour it into other buckets and it will improve them. But if you're looking for like a cross-device, cross-platform solution that sort of, you know, is your uh, brain across all of this that recognizes people and their context and serves them, that's not something you just buy and go click, click. I mean, Siri took a long time to integrate. And it's still like far from as sophisticated as it could be. Um, or, or sophisticated as it is, but Apple has not yet, you know, unlocked those capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just posted, I just linked to the article, I literally while we're recording, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I linked to the article at uh, TechCrunch and my quick comment is just, does anyone disagree that AI assistant technology is table stakes for the next decade? Yeah, I, I, think I, I don't know. I, I think, I think this right. is one of those rare things where everybody agrees. I don't know anybody who disagrees with this. You know, you, yeah, you got the person who's like, no, that's stupid. Nobody should have one of those. Right. You and, you know, it, it's just another way for Samsung to sort of assert their independence from Google, you know, in, right. in terms of being, uh, it, it's just not a good position to be in for them to be, be completely beholden to Google to provide all of that intelligence. Not at all. Not at all. It doesn't make any sense for them. And it hasn't made sense for a while, which is why they've been experimenting with teasing and other stuff. But, with Samsung, they have two options. They can sort of try to create a mobile operating system, right? Like try to like do an Android, right? Pull an Android and just like turn and burn and make a mess of things and, and go as fast as they can and then have to clean it all up. Like honestly, Android, I, we joked about this Porsche analogy with the whole, you know, the iPhone, like, hey, you just refine this Porsche thing. But there's sort of another saying about Porsche, which is that they made a mistake 50 years ago and have spent 50 years fixing it. <laughs> and that that mistake was that they made a rear wheel rear wheel drive car with an engine in the back, right? right. It's like no, that doesn't physics. Did anybody check the physics? Um, and so you know they're famously nine elevens are famously squirrely and hard to drive, and have gotten better because they've added traction control and new suspension and steering assistance and you know better differentials and blah 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 blah. Right? And but it took them fifty years to get into a space where. You can actually take a 911 out and drive it to the store and back and not be afraid you're going to end your life, you know? <laughs> and like if, if it rains for like three seconds, it's like done. You might as well pull over, you know? Um, but I think that that is an interesting analogy when you look at Android because Android was created out of necessity. You know, it was sort of created to be one thing and then purchased and then modified for other uses and has been essentially fixed, right, over the intervening years. It, it, like patches uh, have been placed on holes and things have been uh, desoldered and taken out and bolt and new things have been bolted on. And it's in a shape where you could conceivably say, oh, you know, I could pick up an Android phone and use it for pretty much nine-tenths of my tasks or an iPhone. And those differentiating factors are really like the personalization and the customization and, and artific uh, artificial intelligence is a part of that. Like, does my phone recognize me and everything I, I have to know, I need to know? So if you look at Samsung and you go, should Samsung pull an Android and build an OS from scratch, or should it start with the core differentiating factor, which is the AI, and then sort of work outwards from there? Because it has Android. It doesn't really need to build something new. Google's like, open, you know, you can have all this, almost all the stuff, except for the Google stuff, right? And that's, that's Samsung going, 
well, why don't we just build our own quote unquote Google stuff, right? The stuff right. that allows people to go, oh, I could pick up my Samsung and just ask it something, or I can talk to my fridge and ask it something. Right. Um, which is going to be a, <laughs> this actually works out. It almost seems like we've planned this, but it actually is a pretty good segue into Google's event, which was uh, yesterday, as we recorded earlier this week, the Made by Google event. Um, mm-hmm. But first, since we're moving right along, I'm going to thank our first sponsor, is our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is the company, you know them. They print your photos directly on glass. I think there's probably a lot of people that, uh, that probably think, well, glass is heavy, so this is like a heavy thing to put on a wall. One of the things, I don't mention it. I'm stealing this from Marco, by the way. Marco mentioned this point on, on ATP, but I'm stealing it. Um, one of the things that makes these Fracture prints so remarkable is how lightweight they are. They they come, they self-hanging, they call it. But everything you need to hang it on the wall is on the back of this piece of glass. So you send them your photos. They print them directly on the glass. It looks like it's right on the surface of the glass. Edge to edge, corner to corner, no frame necessary. It's just the glass. And then there's just the the thing you need to hang it on the wall. You just, you know, they, they don't come to your house and put the nail in the wall. But other than that, it's... It, it hangs itself super lightweight, almost like lighter than you'd think it could be, um, which makes you feel really good hanging it on the wall because you don't feel like, hey, this is like a big heavy piece of glass that's going to break and put broken glass all over the floor or whatever. Uh, quality is excellent. I mean, these this is how I print photos. I don't, you know, I, I can't imagine why I would print them some other way. Great quality. All sorts of great sizes, great price. They are made in a carbon-neutral factory right in beautiful Gainesville, Florida. Uh, and here's the thing. They're up in their, their, their sponsorships recently, September, now we're in October, because these are fantastic gifts. They really are. It's, it's both – they make the people like you're, you're, you're giving to grandparents, giving to other family members, stuff like that. Uh, if you've got kids – get some print, pictures printed of them, give them to everybody for Christmas and, and the other holidays. Great gift for a couple of reasons. It makes the people you give them to really happy. Trust me, they love them. And it's so easy. It is so easy for you in terms of, hey, let's knock off uh, you know, all the parents and grandparents and stuff like that. Knock off the, the, the holiday uh, gift items. Here's the reason. They want you to think about doing that now or soon because uh, these things are all made by hand right here in Florida. Uh, well, I'm not in Florida, but right here in the U.S. <laughs> they get backed up for the holidays is what I'm going to get at. So you can't wait till like the beginning of December and then still get it by the end of December for, for the holidays. So think about it now. You'll, you'll knock off something on your, your shopping list way early. You'll be ahead of the game. Uh, where do you go? You go to FractureMe.com. That's their website. Slash podcast. That's the thing to remember, that, that they're using the same URL for all their podcast ads. And then they'll just ask you a one-question survey of where did you hear about them from, and that's where you tell them you hear from uh, the talk show. And anyway, you go to that URL, you'll get 10% off your first order. So the more pictures you buy on that first order, the more you'll save. So go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. My thanks to them. Um, so I said segue, going to the Made by Google event. So why you know why should Samsung be concerned about owning their own technology for stuff like this? Because to me, this week's made by Google event, which overall I have to say I was pretty impressed by, but the truth is very obvious that Google is now going to favor their own hardware over those of partners. 
that the full experience that they're planning, that they feel like they can drive through AI technology, uh, they are they clearly they said so. It, it's not even implicit, explicit in interviews this week that they see that the inter- integrated hardware and software is the way to go. Imagine that. <laughs> I'm surprised no other company had ever come up with this before. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's remarkable that uh, Google was first to this uh, this re- realization. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rag on them too hard, right? Because it does they made a bed, right? And they had to lie in it. And that that bed was that they had to be partner friendly and. Um, you know, this this open strategy, whatever you want to call it, it, it really laid out a track for them that they had to follow. And they followed it for as long as it made sense. And now it doesn't make sense anymore. The, Google is not a fool. The people that are not fools, but the people that should have known or should have realized are the partners. You know, the, the companies that are like, oh, Google will never betray us. And, right. you know, they, they will always have our interests at heart, et cetera. I do think Google meant it. And I think part of, I don't think it's any coincidence at all. I've mentioned this briefly in a short DF piece the other day, um, pointing out that, you know, how, how, like the 2010 in particular was the year where it was where Vic Gondotra was on to given a keynote at IO and really dug into the anti iPhone, anti Apple, anti Steve Jobs sort of, uh, sentiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it literally said something to the effect of one man, one phone, one company, one carrier <laughs> is, you know, we're, we're here to def- stop right. that from dominating mobile for the coming decades. Uh, and really meant it. I th- truly think. I think Vint Gendoter meant it. I think Andy Rubin was very much along, you know, uh, uh, on that. That it was a strength of Android to be Microsoft to the PC industry. You know, to 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 not, you know, only do like reference hardware and just do the software. And I really think that they they thought that they could that they that Android would lead to a Windows like monopoly over mobile. Right, and they were still they still thought that in 2012, right? I so they think had so, the, yeah. the Galaxy Nexus, uh, the Nexus Seven tablet, and, uh, that <laughs> that streaming device, that Nexus Six like orb. Uh, I forget what they called it exactly, but it was like the ball thing. Um, I don't know. That was that that was that particular Google I/O when they introduced all those things, and and there was like some additional glass stuff the explorer edition of glass was when that was launched and everything and that particular one they also made a lot of you know really kind of in you know whatever you want to call it uh predictive or 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 hypothetical but not really hypothetical statements about software and hardware integration and how they could only do certain things if they took control of both and and they would show their partners how you know good it could be and then they would follow suit and this is when they were dealing they were kind of trying to roll out several small software updates uh to limit fragmentation and all that stuff and in 2012 I I I remember tweeting this because my I remember the first reply was, "Do you realize the stupidity of that tweet?" Um, <laughs> but, but but the reply, it was really funny because nobody replied to it at the time. Everybody like favorited it, but nobody replied. And then like it took a year. <laughs> I posted it June twenty seventh. Well, what, what did the tweet say? Well, the tweet was the hardware and software hardware plus software epiphany. And I said Apple nineteen seventy nine. 
Microsoft 2012 because it was the Surface thing, and then Google 2012. In other words, like they're they're saying like, oh, maybe the right way to do this is to do both, right? And to say maybe there are maybe there you could do the other, but for I, I was being a bit facetious because obviously the hardware software join made less sense for a variety of reasons that have been gone over ad nauseum by you and other folks and and all of us over the years made less sense on on desktop than it does on mobile right but mobile's lack of tolerance for weirdness and it's it's intimate nature and a lot of other things it just apple had the right formula for it which is why the iphone was such a hit right off the bat um and so microsoft and google in 2012 kind of shifted their gears and were like oh maybe we should take full control over these mobile experiences because people are not getting them right. And letting our partners diddle around with our hardware is not going to, you know, or, or our software in Microsoft's case is not going to, to make a device that's holistically like feels great and, and engenders love and loyalty. Do you think it took them that long though, to get to the point where they have these pixels? Do you, or do you think that there were further epiphanies along the line? I don't know. I mean, it, that's it, that's the joke I was making about you know Google convincing people that they're launching their own phones for the third time, yeah. um, for the first time because they had you know the Google the Android uh, the one yeah the, yeah and then they had the Nexus phones of course and then this is sort of like the third time they've done this but it seems for better or for worse they seem more serious about it now and i think they're serious about it now because they're in a place where their their competitors their real competitors are are or real partners partner slash competitors are very seriously thinking about divorcing themselves right and going like you know hey what do we do when google's not the answer or how do we fork you know android in a way that's to our advantage, like, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, attempted to do, but I think that they basically, they look at it and say, well, eventually it's going to happen and somebody's going to be good at it. So why don't we just do it? Why don't we be the person that's good at it? And that's why we're getting this third attempt. Yeah. Um, as for the phones themselves, I, uh, I almost, I, I've, I'm one who's largely offended by ripoffs. And I, you know, over the years have, you know, argued with people on Twitter and, you know, I, I was certainly of, of the belief that Samsung ripped off the iPhone uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, uh, in those phones that were the, the subject of the big uh, case that went to court. Uh, I largely agree with Apple on the merits of most of their arguments there. And, and the counter argument was always from people who, who either I, – I, I just think that they're mentally made up not to notice, see or notice these things in the way that like for a best example I can think of is the way some people just don't notice the differences between fonts. And so, yes, they can see the difference (laughs) between like a serif and a sans serif because you can say, see these little feet at the bottom. That's the serifs. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. But they don't see the difference between times and Garamond. And they don't see the difference even between Futura and Helvetica, let alone the subtle differences between, say, Helvetica and Arial, uh, which is an actual ripoff font. It's a ripoff mm-hmm. of, of. Yeah. So I, I think that there's people who just don't see the differences like that in industrial design. And they give right. arguments like, well, there's only so many ways to make a, a round cornered, round rectangular piece of glass. And it's like, uh, no, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, th- I think it's like trying to t- tell somebody who's colorblind, like, this is lavender, and they're all, no, it's not. And you're all, okay, never mind. <laughs> because they just don't, will never see it. These, these Pixel phones are so clearly uh, following the design of the iPhone 6 that, it, it, I mean, it's to a degree that I don't think I've ever seen in any phone, any post-iPhone competing phone ever. These are the biggest ripoffs of the iPhone industrial design ever. But there's, it's almost so absurd that I almost salute them for. It's almost like there's a certain integrity to it where they're just explicitly <laughs> saying, "Yes, we're making phones that make look like iPhones." They're not. I don't even think they're quite denying it. I mean, they're even talking about it in some of the articles that they've made a few choices to not make them look like iPhones. But I, nobody, there's so much like iPhones in terms of the 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 shape, just the basic shape that it. I don't see how anybody could look at them and first thought not be, wow, those look exactly like the iPhone 6. Right. There's almost an integrity to the fact that they are, if we're going to copy Apple, we might as well copy Apple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, recently Instagram copied Snapchat with their stories thing. Yes. And and they basically said, yeah, Snapchat came up with a really good idea. So this is our spin on it, which I think is like, you know, Facebook has copied a lot of features from Snapchat over the years or tried to. And most of those standalone apps have failed. But Instagram's, you know, even though it's under the Facebook umbrella, it's led by, you know, people who will make decisions. And in this case, they either made the decision or convinced somebody above them to allow them to say, look, we thought it was great, so this is our spin on it. And I think that's a kind of a there's a similar scenario going on here where they may not explicitly say it because Google probably has a little bit more, you know, layers of interruption between somebody just coming out and saying that and not. But I do think that it there is an element of the design is great. We're just going to use that because the design is not really all that important to us in terms of in terms of appearance right and i'm using design here in the terminology of you know physical industrial design physical appearance not the holistic design right. capital d uh where it's the way it works and looks but i think that they said you know hey there's certain choices we need to make but one of those choices is not to be wildly different you know, to wildly differentiate the look and feel. And I, the way I feel about it is the name of the phone is perfect because it's called Pixel, which obviously to anybody, you know, in the computer world or pro- honestly, most people probably know at least what a Pixel is because nine times out of 10, when you tell anybody about like a phone or something, oh, how many pixels does it have, right? Like they don't really know or, you know, how many pixels does that camera have? They don't, they don't really know what it means and how that translates, you know, from a capture element to an actual pixel on a screen. Well, pixel is like a really broad, recognizable term. So A, one, you know, number one, broad, recognizable term. So that's a great, right? That's a good choice. And second is it emphasizes what's on the screen, right? The software. And to Google, the hardware is a vehicle for their AI and whatever other software they want to launch on it. And to Apple, the hardware is the thing, and then people build to suit the hardware. Like, that's the way that they, that's their philosophy. Their entire developer ecosystem builds to the precise specifications available on the devices. And that's what leads to, you know, theoretically great experiences. But Google is basically like, hey, we can provide all the experiences people need or that we really care about. And so the Pixel, calling it Pixel, telegraphs that. It says it's about what's on the screen. It's not about what's around the screen. You know, don't worry too much about that. We're going to give you a design that you that feels familiar. That you feel like, oh, I could. That's a phone. I can use that thing. You know, and that's it. They're good. They're golden. The rest of it is on the screen. 
here's my biggest question that and I you know it's a win for them honestly it's it doesn't have a camera bump and that was one of the first things I noticed. One of the things that they copied, <laughs> though, is they put the camera in the same corner that the iPhone has always put the camera. And that's right. been one of the weird things that I've always wondered about, that here we are, you know, nine years with 10 generations of the iPhone, and every single one has had the camera in the top left as you look at the back face mm-hmm. of the camera. And almost all competing phones put the camera in the in the center, more or less where the Apple logo goes on an iPhone. Um, and where the pixels put their finger net, fingerprint sensor. Most right. other phones, though, put the cameras there, whether there's a bump, whether there's no bump. Uh, I've never quite understood why since, you know, just uh, not even making the argument of why the iPhone's placement is better, but given that the iPhone... Oh, it is, for sure. I, I think so, too, because I think yeah. it, it keep, it's more likely to keep your finger out of the position. Yeah, most people are right-handed, and you bring up the phone, and most people are going to take it in a horizontal... And so you bring up the phone and turn it horizontal and you tap it with your right thumb. And your your other finger is in front of it, holding it stable. And then that way you don't have a finger in front of the, the lens. It makes yeah. total damn sense. It's like the right place to put the camera. And Android phones, it's all I always have my damn finger in front of the camera and I have to remove it. I do too. And I don't know if it's because I have a, a I have finger, you know, handheld habits that that coincide <laughs> with it or not. Um I'm looking at my Moto X right here, and I just remember I've I've often I'd hold it up, and my fingers right over the camera. Yeah, well, um, the Nexus Five is in the center, so they sort of like, hey, we'll be agnostic, you know, left hand, right hand. Here, here was my first question though. As soon as I saw the design, and this is before you know before the event because it leaked, and I was like, well, there's no camera bump, so how are they not having a camera bump? Is it because they made the phone thicker, or is it that they've got? That somehow they've got superior optics. So the iPhone uh, 7 is, uh, I have it right here in front of me, 7.1 millimeters thick. And the 7 mm-hmm. Plus is 7.3 millimeters thick. So two-tenths mm-hmm. of one millimeter thicker for the Plus than the regular 7. And then there's a big bump. Uh, the Pixel's dimensions on Google's tech specs page are... Uh, for thickness, I don't understand what this means. Seven point three, mm-hmm. and then a tilde eight point five millimeters, and that's for both phones, the Pixel yeah. and the Pixel XL. It's eight point five at the top because there's a plate of glass or whatever that is and over I, the top. I think so. I I I, don't, I haven't seen anybody answer this though. I think that they're slightly wedge shaped, sort of like uh you know it, not quite to the to the narrow to like a blade like a MacBook Air, but that they're yeah. they're not. When you look at it in profile from the side, it doesn't look like the bottom is as thick as the top. It's thinner at the bottom than it is at the top. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like they slope the whole phone up to where it would be a bump. Right. Yes, that I, I totally agree. I think that's what happened there. I, I actually didn't go to the event, so I didn't handle them myself. But I, I did ask somebody, and I believe that's what they told me. There was that sort of like piece of the of. Uh, Material at the top. I hesitate to just say glass because I don't want to be wrong. I don't think that it's just, but but it doesn't like jump in thickness. I think it is. It's like a a gentle wedge shape. But and and their product photography. There's a bevel though. Their product photography seems to purposefully obscure that. It 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 it, my I, I looked at product photography for a while before I even thought to suspect that. You know. And yeah, I'm. I actually went in our back end here because our our guys were at the event we generally when we shoot pictures we dump them all into the back end so people that are 
you know, utilizing yeah. them or writing articles about them can pull them up. And so let me, I'm pulling one up here. Yeah. And he's holding it at an angle and you can clearly see that that part of the top is raised. Yeah. Now, whether it's like a wedge from, you know, two thirds up the phone, it starts out at like, you know, eight millimeters and then it goes up to 8.3 at the very top. I don't know, but it's definitely like it raised at the top. The top third of the phone is raised off of the, yeah. the rest of the phone. So I think they're hiding a lot of the bump in there. And if you look at the camera, it's interesting because they, there's actually a sl- sort of slight indention. It slopes inwards at the camera. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's a combination of things. I think they found out, you know, they figured out a way to make it as thin as possible, and then they also sloped it up a little bit. But yeah, it's a clever clever way to get rid of the bump, for sure. And it will, you know, it certainly would allow it to still f- sit flat on the table with no wobble. So I have to right. say, I mean, I'm not right. willing to say that it's a complete win without seeing it myself i mean i think i'm gonna buy yeah. one because i haven't bought an android phone in a while and it seems like this would be the one to buy um, yeah i think i'm gonna upgrade from my 5x too yeah um so i don't know but it's you know i i still hate the bumps i like the i like the seven bump better i've said this before i like the seven bump better than the six and success bump because to me it's more of an honest bump it's like yeah man we've got it we yeah we definitely have a bump <laughs> and you see it in a right. product photography we put like this badass camera in here and apple yeah. there were entire articles two years ago about how Apple's product photography hid the bump and, and yes. they had profile pictures where in theory you think you would have been able to see the bump and you didn't and then there were def- you know defenses where people were making their own photos and they're like if you hold it just right you can take a real photo and not show the bump by you know just the exact shooting it from the opposite side and you know putting it at the exact right angle and I can just hold up my phone to my eye and hold it sideways and if I hold it just right it looks like it's in perfect profile and I don't see the bump. But mm-hmm. doing it, it was dishonest. Whereas now, Apple's product photography highlights the bump. They've got like a beautiful reflection off the jet black, you know, aluminum. Right. Uh, and yeah, the reflection's not an accident. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not willing. But, you know, overall, I think not having a bump, you've got to say if, you know, otherwise it fit, you know, fits, doesn't feel too thick in your hand, et cetera. This could be a win for the Pixel over the iPhone. Yeah, I mean, hey, who who wants? I mean, nobody wants a bump. That bump probably just drives Johnny insane, right? All right. But it's you know you got to do what you got to do. I think having um, an asymmetrical pro- overall, the whole phone being asymmetric would drive him nuts too, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's like true. I can still see why it, I could I could I wouldn't be you know I would almost be surprised if Apple didn't consider a wedge shaped design to accommodate the. Uh, you know, the necessary thickness of the camera unit. And I could see why Apple rejected it. God, remember that wedge-shaped design that, who said that was going to have a wedge? Was it Josh Polsky or somebody? Like, Yeah, I think so. this is my next or something. They said it was going to be like a wedge. So yeah. maybe they were considering a wedge at some point. Right, and like maybe that wasn't totally, you know, pulled out of thin air. Right. Maybe that was, an, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But I can also see yeah. why they got rid you know, didn't go that way. Sure. Um. What else about these phones? They did move. They moved the volume to the other side. Yes, <laughs> which is where a lot of Android yeah. phones have had the volume. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I like. I mean, look, I like them. I mean, I think that they're a little bit uh, awkward. The mix of materials is not really my bag, you know. Um, like the two tone thing. Yeah, it's it just seems a little bit contrived to me, and I don't know why they have antenna lines 
and <laughs> a huge window that could theoretically be right. transparent to signal, but that's you know I'm not a phone designer, so yeah. there's probably like very logical reasons and all of that stuff, you know. Right, and it like the iPhone four and four S had brakes you know the antenna was the frame around the sides and then there famously there were brakes in there for different antennas to not be touching each other but then the back was made out of glass and therefore signals could get through i don't quite get why they've got a one-third glass back and two-thirds aluminum and antenna lines uh, i could see why they have glass if they wanted to have the antenna signals get through and i could see having antenna lines for the reasons that the iphone 6 and 7 have antenna lines but i don't see both yeah. It'll be curious. I, it just, it's a very technical design, right? Yeah. Like, it screams, like, this is very technical. We have lots of things going on. And I think that's that's an interesting um, play. And they probably did it intentionally, right? Because this is, this is the high, high end of the Android market, which is something we haven't talked about yet. But pricing-wise, this is an expensive phone, right? This is yeah. not like the Nexus 5X. Hey, get one for 250 bucks flat out you know, or whatever on sale or with a coupon, you know, this is, these are expensive $650 to $800, $950 phones or whatever. Yeah. They're very comparably priced to the iPhone seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, 120 more for the, for the bigger display instead of a hundred mm-hmm. more. And they have two storage tiers, 32 and 128. And the 128, I think is, I think, or both might be exactly the same price as the same iPhones. Right. So I guess whatever math Apple was doing wasn't just about gouging. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, the, the colors are called Very Silver, Quite Black, and Limited Edition Really Blue, which is already out of stock. Uh, I almost bought the blue. I literally pulled it up and I was pre-ordering it. And then I decided to just kind of wait and see what the first impressions were. And yeah. you know, did you order one already? That. No, I haven't I, ordered. I'm, I'm going to, but I, I don't. I, I am yet. too, but I, I, I'd probably just buy black. I don't want to wait. Um, although I'm curious why blue is limited edition. Is it just artificial scarcity, or is it because it's probably harder to make? I mean, yeah. those finishes are tougher. You know, I mean, like even the look at the jet black, right? Yeah. It's like you know some just nine step process that they have to anodize it and then they have to clear coat it and polish it and clear coat it and polish it and clear coat and polish. It just takes longer. I would guess they just produced a lot less of them because of that. It looks like most of their product photography is the very silver. Um, they skipped gold, so there's no gold. You can't accuse them of ripping off or following Apple in that regard. Um, I'm kind of impressed if the black looks as good as it does on the aluminum that I'm kind of impressed that they've already caught up and that far. I mean, who knows how much of that expertise Google brought and who much how who knows how much they're leaning on HTC. But famously right. the reason that we've had space gray for a couple of years is because black proved so hard even for Apple who's who's unparalleled expertise in materials. Um Mm-hmm. You know, couldn't even get right, and here they're coming out of the black, out of the out of the box with a black anodized aluminum. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I haven't seen it in person, so I don't know how how black the black is, but it looks pretty black. Yeah. I mean, look, you look at the black top section, and it is lighter than that, but it's not like gray, right. gray like yeah. the like the <laughs> previous iPhones were. Yeah, it's I don't know. There's some things that look weird about it to me, but it certainly is the best looking iPhone or. Android phone I've seen in a while, to my mm-hmm. eyes. 
Um, yeah, they, a lot of them have too many notes because they got to differentiate, right? Right. Like you're in this crowded market with a bunch of competitors, and you, you have you're sitting on this Verizon shelf. Like people walk into the Verizon store, and they're like, "Oh, I want a bit, uh, that one looks cool." You know, that's that's what they're playing to that audience, yeah. and Google's not. This shot, I'll send it to you. This shot seems to me to really emphasize. I, I think this is where you can kind of see the wedge shape. I don't know. Uh, AMOLED display instead of LCD, mm. but just about everybody other than Apple has gone to AMOLED. Uh, and there's rumors that yeah. Apple is going to go to AMOLED eventually, sooner than later. I don't know. Uh, it seems to me like, I mean, AMOLED still has advantages on blacks. And I think they're inherent to the technology that a black on AMOLED is going to be a darker black, a, a deeper black, whatever you want to describe it, than LCD can ever do. Um, mm -hmm. but it seems to me like both technologies are, are sort of approaching each other at the it take, you know, both are catching up to the strengths and weakness or strengths of the others and get, and getting rid of their weaknesses. Like the days when AMOLED couldn't reproduce color faithfully are, I think are probably over. Yeah. I mean, that was always the, the, it, the I mean, AMOLED was a new technology for a long time and it was harder to make and everything else, but it's starting to become much more, you know, widely adopted. And I remember there was like... In particular, the Flickr logo with which had the magenta, <laughs> you could like you right. could like damage your retina, <laughs> but just by looking right, at the Flickr right. logo. That's right. Yeah, and well, the, the advantage to AMOLED overall is that the colors are more neutral, right? And like L LCDs always have a sort of, sort of like they fight against the blue cast, right. you know, uh, and that uh, that you know moving to AMOLED sort of fixes that without having to do software trickery uh, on top of it to to filter that, but. I don't know. I think LCD and plane switching stuff is it just like was so good because it, it didn't burn in and there was like, you know, it was really easy to to make in pretty decent quality. But I yeah, I think everything's going to be AMOLED pretty soon because of the better color rendition. I think it just comes down to the scale, you know, and you have to remember that for Apple to switch, it's they're switching like 70 million displays in the first quarter. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I don't it's not surprising to me at all that they might be late to that game um, just because that they could, there's no way they were going to shift in the early years when the color reproduction was so bad. And even now, if they might want to, they have to wait, not just until you can make one that's up to their qualities for just how good does it look really, which is ultimately what Apple cares about. It's not really what you can measure in any kind of test. It's just look, just look at it with your eyes. Does it look good? Um, but they've got to be able to do it where they can make it in iPhone quantities. Let me take a break. I want to talk. I want to talk camera uh, on the Pixel, right? Uh, but let me take a break and thank our second sponsor. And, and just because it seems like a natural point in the show to do so, it's our good friends at Igloo. You guys know Igloo. They make the intranet that doesn't suck. Anyone who's worked in a corporate environment knows how painful intranets can be. The content's stale. The interface is ugly. You can't access it on your phone. Or you have to do it with a lot of pinching and zooming. Uh, and nobody uses it because they don't like it. Igloo is an internet intranet you will actually like because it's designed for the user. It's designed to be nice. And therefore, people use it because it's nice. And because people use it, it stays up to date. It gives you the flexibility to get your team's work done how you want to do it, where you want, and on whatever device you want. Igloo is truly building a modern product meant for 2015, not for 1997. You can share news, organize files, 
coordinate calendars, manage projects, to-dos, all in one place. They've got annotation on documents. They've done a lot of work in the last year or two on the document sharing stuff. Um, And everything can be social. You can have comments if you want. It's all configurable too. Comments and like buttons so everybody within your team can do all the sort of stuff that you're used to doing on social networks right there within your own private intranet. Uh, And everything is responsive web design-wise. So it looks fantastic on everything from your phone to your tablet to your big giant 5K iMac. Um, so go to igloosoftware.com slash TTS, TTS for the talk show. igloosoftware.com slash TTS, and you can get a free trial for your team and see for yourself just how good it is. My thanks to them. Uh, I wanted to talk about this. So they're bra- Google's bragging on the camera. It might be a great camera, but they're banking it all on these the scores from DxO Mark. And I didn't have time before the show to look this up, but there was something else recently where like within the last year or so where DxO Mark came out with something about Apple's image quality. And they have this this test that comes out. They they I don't know. They do they run these tests and then they get a number from one to a hundred. And that's it. Like the so the 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 Pixel phones. How, how good's the picture of your kids? Oh, it's eighty six. Yeah, it's an eighty six picture. How good is it's this pretty, camera? It's pretty good, but not so good. It's an eighty nine. <laughs> and I I this to me sounds like bullshit. And I know some people will say, well, that's because you're a fan of the iPhone and you've got an iPhone, and and so if Apple had the higher score, you'd be bragging about that. Uh, I I don't because I don't understand how you do this, and it's not like the iPhone is that far behind. The iPhone seven is at eighty six on their scale. I don't know if that's for both the uh, iPhone seven plus and the seven, or just the iPhone seven. Um, there's a couple of Android phones that are at eighty seven and eighty eight, including the Samsung Galaxy S seven Edge, which I've heard is is a, and I've seen examples from is probably the the one camera that if anything's better than the iPhone, it's the Galaxy S seven. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the S seven is probably the best camera out there other than the iPhone. You know, of shipping phones or or whatever whatever you want to call. It. I saw. A, but I, I mean, I find this scale to be a little bit weird because there's like. The Moto Z Force Droid is rated higher than the iPhone 7, as is the Xperia Z5. Uh, the Galaxy Galaxy S6 Edge, which is a, a generation old. Um, the HTC 10. I mean, that's the problem with numerical scales, right? right. Is that they, they don't make any sense across generations. They don't make any sense, you know, out of model year. And frankly, they just don't make any really damn sense at all. I'm, I'm not a fan of numeric scales. I never assign them to reviews. I'm not a huge fan. I think it's enormously reductive. Uh, and I think, you know, you could give somebody, even if you want to give them the cheat sheet, you know, you give them a simple one-line, you know, kind of explanation of why something is good or bad or kind of where it rates in the grand scheme of things. And you're doing much people a much better favor than a number, which is marketing. It's not actually anything, you know? It, it it even goes so far like in it. I think everybody has sort of even at a consumer level, people have gotten away from counting megapixels. Um, and you know, for years, people you know who knew would say, you know, megapixels they are important, and they certainly were pretty important in the early days of digital photography, where where you know if you only had like a two megapixel phone, you really couldn't. There's only a, there's a limit to how far you could. Even if it was perfectly exposed, there's a limit to how far you could blow it up because the pixels just weren't there to make a, a poster-sized print. Um, 
we long ago got past that and things like, well, how big are the pixels on the sensor? Not just how many there are, mm-hmm. but how big they are. And that you could, you know, just as simply that a camera with fewer but bigger pixels could get much better image quality than a camera with more but smaller pixels to fit it in the same space. Right. Um, right. And there's so many other factors. Photography is so multivariate that the idea that you could reduce it, like at least with the megapixel comparison, you really are counting something. And you can argue whether it makes for a better camera or not, but you could say, sure. well, 15 megapixels is more than 12 megapixels. You can't deny that. You could argue about whether it actually makes for a better camera or not, but it's, at least when you're comparing those numbers, you're comparing the same thing. Whereas <laughs> saying this one gets an 89, I, I, I don't know. It, it seems like bullshit to me. And I didn't think yeah. Google's heart was in it. I Maybe I'm reading into it, but when they talked about it on stage in the event, to me, when they said that, I forget the guy's name who was talking about the camera. It just seemed to me like his heart wasn't in it because Google people naturally, Google naturally draws people who want to measure things that are real. And this to me seems like a bullshit sensor. Uh, the example photos they showed taken with the pixels did look very nice to me. I have no doubt. Well, I don't deny that it might have a very nice camera. It might be a better camera than the iPhone 7. I don't know. But Using DxO Mark to prove it to me raises some red red alerts. Well, if you go to, uh, I mean, the, the megapixels discussion, I think is apt, right? Because you got like in the first really affordable, quote unquote, commercial digital SLR was the 30D, right? And around that time was the time the age of the Mavica. I don't know, most people don't remember it, but it was the digital camera that you threw a floppy disk into that Sony made. Uh, and it took pictures onto a floppy disk. And then they came out with the CD Mavica and so on and so forth. But from those days, all the way on through to like, Canon came out with this, um, I think it was a G6. And the previous model, the G5, don't quote me, don't at me, because right. I'm sure I'm getting these model numbers wrong. But it was something like, you know, 2008 or 2009 or somewhere around there or a little bit earlier. And they came out with this compact G-series camera, which is, you know, compact point and shoot. And it had, the previous year's model year had been 12 megapixel. And this model year was a 10 megapixel. And everybody was like going ape, like customer wise. Like people would, you know, go like, why are you, you know, why are you, I used to sell, I was selling cameras at the time. And they were like, oh, why do you, uh, you know, why did this go down? And you have to sort of explain to them about pixel pitch, right? And the size of the capture element and how a smaller megapixel rating, you know, anything over eight megapixels is already going to give you a great eight by 10 and, and larger even. So at that point, it's all a wash. And for them to get better image quality, they had to concentrate on the size of the elements to reduce the noise and right. to give you a better picture quality, all of that. And so the numbers race is like a, it's a, it's a, just long done. I mean, it's done almost 10 years ago now, you know, and that is, that's the thing that you get into when you start rating things numerically. So like this DxO mark has these really wacky phones rated above the iPhone seven because the chart crosses model years and those cameras have lower pixel pitch and worse quality, but in fact are rated quote unquote better because they were rated on that scale of the older phones. Um, But then you have in addition, like the, the, thing that bothers me about DxO, DxO has been around for a lot of years, but in the last couple of years, they've started marketing an attachment for the iPhone camera that is supposed to make it like uh, <laughs> DSLR quality or whatever. It's basically a, a huge sensor, a much bigger sensor that can fit in your iPhone in an external unit that you plug into the lightning port, right? And it's like it sits on the side like a like a tumor and you know takes better pictures. And I'm sure it takes better. I have never tried one. We I 
our camera guys have tried one and they, they think it's fine. But the thing is, is like you go to DXO Mark, you go to this review of the pixel and it's literally the logo of the site, the charts on the side on the right hand side of the page and the pixel, you know, overview is right there and framing the pixel review of the camera <laughs> is an enormous banner for the DXO one iPhone attachment. And then down at the bottom, a pop-up banner is discover the DXL1 Crow quality camera miniaturized, connected with a picture of an iPhone and this thing plugged into it, right? So look, I'm sure these folks are very nice. I'm sure this, you know, this David Cardinal is doing, you know, the best work he can do writing this article. But it does raise questions about how much you can rely on the rating of a camera company on another person's camera when they're actually made for the same device. Right. Like, oh, what's better, the iPhone's camera or the one we made for the iPhone? You know? And I, I look, it's probably fine. And it's probably like this three-point difference between that and the Pixel probably doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just I always take stuff coming from DXO about smartphones with a grain of salt, as long as they're in the camera business. I right. always will. And well, it's just my gut, you know? Right, that they're, they've got a motivation to make iPhone users think maybe the iPhone camera isn't that great because they're selling a separate camera that you can add to your iPhone. Like, don't worry, you don't need right. to replace your iPhone. You can just buy our camera that you stick on the lightning port. Yeah. Oh, your camera is only an 84? Oh, it's too bad, but we can make it 100. Do they give a rating to their DXO mark? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that would be good, though. I, I would have to look at that. Maybe they rate it like a 70 or something. That would yeah. be funny. Uh, um, but anyhow, the Pixel, like, I'll, I, I really, it's hard to kind of make any value judgments on the camera until I take a look at it, right? Like, I don't want to go off the handle and say, oh, right. it's probably crap when it maybe is amazing and I just haven't seen it yet. I, that would be the worst thing. Um, there are some specifications that do tell some stories about the camera. It has a larger Pixel pitch than the iPhone. So, however, they arrange their sensor and size of their sensor, they manage to map out larger capture elements per pixel which does help, right? It helps with color rendition. The way that pick capture elements work is that there's like a small, flat capture element that sits on the back of the sensor. And then above it, there's a sort of well, right? And that well divides it from the the capture elements next to it. And the way light shines in, especially from the edges, can affect how much color information that that capture element picks up and how it reads as like a red pixel or a green or whatever the case may be. And all of that is predicated on how large each of those wells are. And so the bigger the pixel pitch, the wider those wells are, the better color rendition, the more accurate color, the less, you know, weirdness around the edges of the borders of two colors where they blend into one another or, or divide from one another. All of that is going to be affected by the pixel pitch. So seeing a larger pixel pitch is already a great sign so that's good right um and then on top of that though you do have uh i believe it's a smaller aperture than the widest aperture on the iphones i think it's a 2 2.0 whereas the iphones a uh, uh, think what's 1.8 is that a half stop or a full stop i don't know i think don't it's a half me. i think it's a half stop yeah, yeah but anyhow it's it's brighter right uh, so people are saying oh it's brighter you know, the iPhone's brighter, but at the same time, the larger pixel pitch could offset it and then some, right. you know, because it is significantly larger. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what it can do. I, I'm curious. Right. It's, there's so many variables that go into photography and that it really is, and it's always been, it's not just new to digital photography. It's always been an argument over how much, you know, how much glass do you want to carry around? Um, right. Uh, it, 
you know, and and sensor versus the lens, and and you know, bigger, you know, getting more light by having doing it on the sensor side as opposed to doing it on the aperture side. It's it effectively it in the bottom line is what is it like to actually go out and shoot photos with the thing, and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, one difference I've seen is that it doesn't it unless they're not talking about it, it doesn't have optical image stabilization. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think on stills that's going to hurt them a little bit because it certainly is going to. That's you know it really does help with stills. On video, I'm not sure because it seems you know they're 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 they have like a gyroscope driven digital stabilization for video, and they showed an example that was supposedly shot side by side where they exaggerated the camera shake of video while you walk, and their stabilized version looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's still the, the you know the normal rolling shutter effects, and then you do get the little blur and low light and stuff. But it looks like they're digital. I mean, you know, this is Google's kind of bag. You know, the digital stabilization I would estimate would probably be pretty good. So it's not. I'm not shocked to hear that it is pretty good yeah. in the video. But yeah, no, no optical stabilization. I have an app. Um, maybe there's other apps that do it, but I have an app for the iPhone called Horizon. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It it's an app that lets you shoot horizontal video no matter how you hold your iPhone. Oh, okay. So uh-huh. they're, what they're doing is they're just using a crop of the sensor sure, right. to do it. And so that you can hold – now, obviously, there is there is a – you know, it's not magic. It doesn't shoot the same exact video that you would get holding it horizontally. When you hold it visit, you know, vertically, it's, it's a crop. So it's almost like the equivalent of being zoomed in a little bit. Right. Um, yep. But you get a preview while you shoot. But they, it's, I, they must be doing the same thing because it, it also the other effect is even when you when you use Horizon to shoot, even if you hold your your iPhone horizontally, you still get stabilization. And, and yes, you know, it's and, all all the digital stabilization systems are exactly that. They're all right. based on crop, and so the the most intelligent ones will crop dynamically. Right, the earliest ones are. Um, the the earliest uh, digital stabilization systems were all based on a fixed crop. So they would essentially crop in 20% of your resolution and then use that as a buffer, right, to try and stabilize your image. And the more dynamic ones, the newer ones, like this Google one most likely, although I haven't read deep on it, um, vary that crop by how fast you're moving your phone. They use the accelerometer data and gyroscope data to say, hey, you know, you're vibrating, you're you know, jigging a lot. So let's go ahead and just crop in a, a ton, and then oh, you're more stable now. You've stopped walking or whatever. Let's let's go back out and get you as much resolution as we can. So the more intelligent ones, that's what they do, and that's the way Apple's digital stabilization works on the uh, like the iPhone success where it has no optical. Right. Uh, I think it's a win for the iPhone Seven though, and I think it'll be proven out that it that on all of the iPhone Sevens plus and regular size, you get true optical image stabilization, including for video. So that's, I'll tell you what, I missed the hell out of it in 2X. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. The, it's the worst. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's the one thing I keep telling myself to console myself that my personal iPhone <laughs> doesn't have the 2X camera. <laughs> is that, well, it doesn't have OIS, so who cares? Right. <laughs> so I don't care. It, it is very shaky, I'll tell you, especially because it's 2X, right? Um, you know, so hey, it's... Yeah. It's the but price it's a, you pay. But. It's a it's a camera for well lit situations. Um, while we're on this the subject, I don't know that there's anybody who knows more about the depth effect on the iPhone Seven Plus than you. You you had pre release access to the feature a couple of days before the developer beta came out. Uh, your explanation of it is as as detailed technically as anything I've seen. 
more detailed in some regards even than what Apple has seen because you you've poked at them to get them to tell you like that the that they wrote their own custom disk blur. Um which is funny because it came up a couple times. Like I keep seeing people say that it's like a Gaussian blur, which is exactly what you said in your first version of the I'm, report. I'm so irritated. I'm so irritated. <laughs> right. That, that it was in my article. Right. Because uh, <laughs> I think, because I remember talking to you about it behind the scenes and you were somewhat skeptical that it was a Gaussian blur. You're like, but that's yeah. what they told me. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's well, why you're when frustrated. When you get told that it's Gaussian, you just say, okay. Yeah. Doesn't but look- honestly, a, a reader, and I'm sorry, I don't have his, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but um, he, he tweeted at me and was like, "Hey, this picture of the strawberry that you have in your piece, like I'm the edges of it, the blue, the bloom really looks like a disc blur." Yeah. And the guy's probably in visual, you yeah. know, in visual work somehow. He's a designer or in, in visual effects or something. Because the visual effects supervisors and, and those people are writing articles about it now. Yeah. They all have it nailed, and you know, like yeah. they're they're super sharp about this because they do it all day. They they simulate camera effects for a right. living, right? Um, or many of them do. But the he said, "Hey, this kind of looks." like a disc blur are you sure and i was like no no and i i was really like oh you know and he's like oh just just asking and i'm like no no you're uh, you know what hey you know what actually now that i look at it and so i went back and yeah it's a custom disc blur so i, I was really irritated i hate getting anything wrong so yeah. that's I, just like it makes me itch here's the thing i've noticed and i've had a little few brief conversations with people on twitter about it is at least for me personally while i was shooting test shots with the iphone 7 plus review unit with the feature on it looks to me like they're doing something different with the noise that to me, it gives a sort of film-like grain to the noise on those images. And I don't see the same thing on the non-portrait shots. And I, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'm seeing what I want to see because I've always been a no, big fan. No, I've seen it too. I've seen it too. And honestly, I haven't seen it as much on my shots, but maybe I just haven't been looking. But I've seen it a ton on examples, like things yeah. people are showing me or things that I see on Instagram. And yes, I, I have seen it. I don't, and I don't know. I, don't, I have no in- information about whether they're artificially under-sharpening it, right? Or sharpening it with a tighter radius. Um, excuse me under noise reducing it is what I meant or yeah. sharpening it with a tighter radius because I, I I am not a fan of how aggressively Apple noise reduces their images. Yes. So I feel that the, the iPhone's images, while great, would be better subjectively, right? Um, this is me talking. This is not like some grandiose statement about better or worse for everybody. But I definitely feel that they would be better if they were sharpened a little bit less while still understanding why they do it. Because most people would just rather not see any grain, you know? And that, to me, that's the trade-off, and I get it. I just don't like it. Yeah, I've never been afraid of the grain. I used to, when I shot film, would tend to just leave the camera loaded with 400 or even 800-speed film because I always thought, like, if you're going to leave some film in there, be ready Mm -hmm. for any situation, and mm-hmm. if it means that I'm an outside and I'm getting a lot of grain because I could be shooting like it with a hundred speed film, um, so be it because the colors still look good and I can shoot indoors and, and get an exposure where I couldn't, if I had hundred speed film already loaded in there. And if there was a slider I could set in iOS that adjusted noise reduction, mm-hmm. I would probably turn it to the lowest setting that Apple would allow me to get away with, knowing that Apple isn't going to say don't noise reduce at all. Because that's one of the things people have been noticing now that you can shoot raw with the iPhone camera is 
holy shit how much noise there is on the image when you shoot raw and it's (laughs) just what the camera sees right everybody (laughs) i know who's like using lightroom to shoot raw on the the iphone 7 (laughs) is like holy shit these this i can't believe how noisy this is and then i'm sure there's somebody at apple or you know on the camera team who are like dude do you know how small that sensor is um, <laughs> yeah, you know what kind of miracles we're pulling, and like I, that's why I'm. I always say, you know, I try to be really careful, and when I'm talking about this noise, yeah. and say, for me, like I would be okay if they dialed it back. But they're they really are performing miracles. I mean, honestly, the raw image that comes off of that sensor is already better than the actual data, you know, that yeah. <laughs> that they get. So I mean, I think that it's you're getting a a viewpoint a viewport with the raw stuff you know in just how good the isp is yeah. um but yes. yeah i mean I, you know you could always tweak it i talked about this last week my, one of my most be- beloved devices not just cameras but devices i've ever owned was my original rico grd the first rico grs were point and shoot cameras that they made for film for years and when they first went digital they called it the grd it was the first generation one and it's very confusing because mm-hmm. then they had the grd2 and the grd3 i think and then they went back they went back and they just had one instead of numbering it four they just went back to rico gr and so uh-huh. it's very confusing but i had the original one i think i bought it in 2006 and the whole reason I bought it, I bought it without ever knowing anybody who owned it, just based on the reviews. And it was gray market, wasn't sold in, officially sold in North America. Um, was that everybody said that Rico's digital sensor is tuned? The ISP is tuned to to turn the make the noise look more like film grain. And everybody who had one on these boards would say so. And I looked at people's Flickr uploads and looked at you know Flickr would let you see the original. So it's like I damned if that doesn't look like film grain, not digital noise or at least less more along those lines and the idea was and rico was explicit about it as opposed to being sort of secretive like apple and not really talking about it rico was very explicit and said there's a limit to what we can do with these small and it was a you know very small sensor for a 2006 point and shoot there's a limit to how much there's going to be noise and so rather than trying to hide the noise we our efforts are to make the noise aesthetically pleasing and that's exactly what film the film industry did for a hundred years so the the people who are like anti-noise would say oh you film uh you guys who celebrate film you're just (laughs) you know you're romantics and you know it it it, you're you're celebrating something that was a that was a technical limitation anyway but i would argue in my in my opinion it's sort of as an amateur but the reason film grain looked good wasn't just nostalgia it was because the kodak and fuji and the other film companies spent 100 years making the noise look better you know what well i call it noise now right. but you know right. that it wasn't like it's not just because it was old that we thought film grain looked good. It was that they, you know, mm-hmm. decades of work went into making it look good. Anyway, right. I see it in the seven plus portrait shots, and I don't know if it's my imagination or not. Yeah, I mean, it. it I do know, I do know that they, you know, the the work that was done to tune the ISP was definitely done with an eye to what had come in the past, but not just photographs, you know, other other works of art too. I mean, remember, they're creating this custom from scratch, and Apple's never one to kind of go with the accepted wisdom around something like that. Yeah. So they're, they have an opportunity to sort of tune the ISP to however they wanted. And now that the camera, honestly, what I mean, what what else is a defining, you know, definitive 
deciding factor between phones. Most of the time, it's the camera these days. You yep. know? And you could argue that AI or like the assistant features may be what they're seeking for to be next. But right now, if you're deciding between three cameras or three phones on the shelf, you kind of want to know which one has the best camera because that's your camera too. You know, it's it's a huge factor when they decide on on picking stuff. So now that they have an opportunity to to really have an amazing camera that has optical zoom that has all of these additional features that could be unlocked in the future by having two lenses uh, and they're able to tune the ISP how they want. They can pick and choose and, and really create a look that is new, you know, and it, it may have some elements of film. It may have some elements of what we consider to be like, you know, characteristic of digital uh, images, which would be, you know, maybe a little bit uh, crisper, maybe a little bit lower noise or whatever. But uh, you you could definitely kind of see them combining the two qualities. I've, I've been thinking, one thing that's occurred to me as more and more people are shooting with this, you know, you still have to have a beta, so it's still pretty uncaught. You have to, A, you have to have this iPhone 7 Plus, and B, you have to be willing to install the beta. But I've seen enough examples. Um it occurs to me, this thought had occurred to me, but now the more I think about it, the more I think it's going to be a big deal is that the number of people who see your photos on their own phones, they're seeing them on Instagram on their phone or in Facebook or on Twitter or something like that. They're seeing them at such a small size that the smaller the size you view the image at, the more, the more like a real uh, bokeh from a real large sensor camera the effect looks like. You have to zoom in more. You have to make it really big to see the the, the deficiencies of the trickery. So right. when you see somebody who has an iPhone Seven Plus using this feature just in their Instagram feed, you're you're gonna you're that's more compelling than looking at mm-hmm. it blown up to a full size on your iMac. Yeah, and comparing like a lot of obviously, and this is not a dig. It's sort of what people want to see, but comparing it against, uh, even in my piece, like I, I had to, I really had to compare it against the same shot, which it does shoot automatically, the same shot without right. the effect, you know, because um, that's what people want to see, right? Oh, what did it look like before? What does it look like after? But I honestly think that does it a disservice because I think you then it allows you to go through and like be really picky any about like, oh, this particular thing is wrong or this, you know, missed this or whatever. But if you just look at it in isolation, they're really pretty good. I mean, there's some that are really funky and weird and dumb and silly and it screws up, but it is very early and there are some shots out of it that are just great. Yeah. And you don't have to use them, right? If it turns out weird, you got the other one, yeah. which would have been what it would look like normally. Yeah. So there's no loss. Yeah. Um, back to the pixel. <laughs> and <laughs> I I don't think it, – I think a digression about the iPhone camera is fine because one of the – at a big picture, I think it's not just what the, the, the pixels look like with the – before you even turn them on and saying, look, this industrial design is is just blatantly following Apple's lead. Everything about the Pixels to me is is saying we're making an iPhone caliber, you know, if you, we're going after the iPhone market. They've made right. a switching tool that I don't even know how it works. It's fascinating to me. I, I can't wait to see this. They have a cable they ship it with that has lightning on one side, goes into the pixel on the other, and takes things like your iMessages and your text messages from their phone. I don't understand how the something with a lightning cable is reading that. I guess it's, it's pretending to be like iTunes or something. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. It you'll can, have to give it, it permission on your iPhone right. the way that the you'll iPhone... You'll have to tell it to trust it. Right, yeah. trust this thing, and it'll take it over. And I guess it'll put your uh, iMessage and text message history into Allo, I guess, or, or maybe their messages app. I don't know which app they're going to put that history into. But that's a big deal. Like, they, ser- they really... I mean, whether it's going to work or not, they seem to seriously be saying... Look, we know there's a lot of people using iPhones who are also using heavily into Google services, including, I'm sure, thousands of people who work at Google, and they're making right. a they're they're doing the best effort they can to say we we want to make it possible for you to switch. And there's a couple of things that they're all on the tech spec page in a way that to me these are a couple of things where they're obviously ahead of Apple, and you have to say you know Apple it's it's they've I think that, you know, they really need to catch up. Here's one of them. Unlimited storage for photos and videos at full resolution. Right. So if you buy a Pixel, your your Google Photos account will – and here's what I'm curious about, though. Is it only for photos you've shot on the Pixel? Or can you shoot 4K video on another camera, and because you own a Pixel, you can upload it all to your Google account? Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know. But even if it is only for the photos you shoot on the Pixel, uh, that's that is a hell of a thing. Apple gives you five gigabytes of storage for free, and that includes everything: your backups, your documents, uh, and your photos. And Google is saying for photos, unlimited at full resolution. That is a huge difference because real right. people run up against that five gigabyte limit if they shoot photos with any regularity, let alone if they shoot. 1080p or 4k video yeah and that thing is that five gigabyte limit has been around forever you know i mean i i I think that it's if it (laughs) i'm not sure this will because i don't know if people i don't know if this is a big enough factor in people not buying an iphone but if it does for lack of a better word shame it um you know shame apple into giving us unlimited storage for free or at least some enormous amount, you know, some finite but enormous amount for free. I would love that. That would be, I would thank Google for that. Yeah. And even if Apple wanted to segregate photos storage from other storage, you know, instead of just saying you've got one bucket where everything goes into, but, but I think they should up both. I think five gigabytes is not enough, especially I really think the more I think about it, now that the minimum phone size is 32 gigabytes, how can the storage be five gigabytes? Oh, it's impossible. It's ridiculous. Like you go to backup and then like my wife and I have different, we have separate iCloud accounts. Um, so we use the same iTunes account. So she gets all my purchases, but she has her own iCloud account. So all of her photos and all of that stuff sync to her phone, but I don't get them all in my photo stream. Right. Um, not because we, you know, don't well, because we care, but it's just, you know, less messy. I mean, I got like 1,500 screenshots in my camera roll. She doesn't want to see all that junk, you know, right. and these pictures of events. She doesn't, she doesn't even know what I do for a living. So she doesn't care. <laughs> but the, that whole like, oh, she has five gigabytes and now I have to pay to upgrade her when I've already paid to upgrade myself because I have three phones and she's got her phone and my daughter's iPad and her iPad and, you know, et cetera. And the, it's full instantly, instantly, you yeah. know? So just to ensure that she doesn't lose stuff, she's got a backup to iCloud or up her iCloud storage. Cause there's, I mean, she doesn't even have a computer. 
Like we are truly a post computer household aside from me, right. which has to sort of is like tied to my desktops because I, I choose to be right. I mean, I could probably do my job from an iPhone. Don't tell my boss, but you know, <laughs> that the, the big screens do help, especially on busy news days or when I'm, you know, managing a, a huge team across multiple continents. But my, my wife doesn't do that. And her work, I mean, they don't even let her bring computers into the OR. So she doesn't care. Right. And so for her, her computer is her phone and is her iPad, and she doesn't have anything to plug it into to back it up. You know, if I wasn't, if I didn't have this, you know, desktop, there would be no option to do that. And I don't even want her to do that, right? Because I erase and put install betas and do all kinds of weird stuff on my machine, and my machine's encrypted and all kinds of, of junk. So, you know, this maybe I'm not home and she can't get on it or whatever. So for her, iCloud is her computer, right? That is her storage. That is everything. That's all of the storage in the world that she has aside from what's local on her phone. And it's just really crippling and silly for it to be so small out of the gate. Like it should guarantee that you should be able to back up a full iPhone yep. out of the, like out of the box. Uh, anything else is just kind of silly. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it's, it, I'm only saying that Apple has to do this for people who've purchased devices of you know i don't know where you cut it off but you know i i don't think that they should necessarily give free unlimited storage to anybody who just signs up for a free icloud account but if you right. if you're if you've bought a new device uh especially the iphones which would start at 649 dollars or 700 dollars or something like that i i you know and it's easy for me i always say this it's easy for me to spend tim cook's money from my armchair here <laughs> but here here's right. existence proof that it's possible here's a phone you can buy for the exact same price as the iphone that comes with free unlimited cloud storage for photos and video so you know to me the bar is raised and it's way above it's not like the you know five gigabytes versus 10 gigabytes it's five gigabytes which is not enough versus unlimited pure and simple that apple needs to catch up the other one it's right here is that uh they do fast charging they call it seven hours i don't i'm sure seven hours of what but they say you can get seven hours of battery life in just 15 minutes with the pixel right. now i thought here's my, my guess was my guess was they've included a, a more expensive high watt adapter and I'm looking at the tech spec, and that's exactly it. It, has, it comes with a USB-C 18-watt adapter. Um, right. That's the, the, the thing that makes the iPhone so slow to charge is that it comes with a 5-watt adapter. It's If you plug an iPhone, uh, I think it's true for the regular 7, but I know it's true for the 7 Plus. If you plug it into the expensive uh, iPad Pro 12-watt adapter, it charges way faster. And Apple sells, I forget how many watts it is, but they sell like a... 50 or $60 standalone uh, adapter that'll charge it even faster than that. So it's not like iPhones can't do fast charging. Nobody just knows about it because they ship with these measly little five watt adapters that charge it. Well, sort of, right? Like, yeah, it will charge faster. Absolutely. You could charge it with an iPad adapter and it'll charge, I don't know, you know, let's call it 2X faster or right. whatever, right? But the, the quick charging that's like, 15 minutes for seven hours or whatever. I mean, that's like 4X or 5X, the normal charging rate of a phone. And generally speaking, that has to be enabled by quick charging secure uh, uh, circuitry. Hmm. So quick charging circuitry and then a controller, which controls that obviously the rate and the voltage and all of that stuff coming into the battery. Like Qualcomm makes a quick charge system, right? So if you're using Snapdragons in your phone, you can get their quick charge, you know, 
plug and play in, in your device as a manufacturer, I'm saying, you know, uh, you can, you can grab Qualcomm's chip and, and put it in there and, and it'll give you faster charging and, and all of that. But I think it's just a, there is a, a real, like, there's a real disconnect between this concept of, oh, I'm going to charge my phone real fast. And I'm also going to ensure that the battery lasts a long time, you know, and, and right. doesn't deteriorate because quick charging does damage batteries, right? The faster you charge the, the battery, the more strain you put on it and the more aging uh, cycles you put on that, that chemistry. So there are trade-offs, you know, and sometimes they get hot and sometimes they explode. So quick charging is, is good and and interesting technology uh, that could very well pave the way towards like, well, if you can charge something in five minutes, who really cares how long the battery lasts, you know? I tend to think that for the price that iPhones cost, they should ship with the, at least the 10-watt power adapter, if not the 12-watt power adapter. Yeah. I know it's yeah, a bigger adapter true. too, but uh, I still feel like it would get you part of the way there. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it, speaking of power adapters and stuff like that, uh, Samsung has <laughs> some problems <laughs> with the batteries in in their phones. I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't heard. Did you see the story today? I'm sure you did because you stay on top of everything. But some some guy was on a Southwest flight this morning, and uh, yeah. his good Note Seven, he would pow- he even powered it off. He says. But whatever, it it started burning a hole in his pocket. And so he got it out of a pocket and, you know, there was smoke coming out of it. So they evacuated. Just before the plane took off, planes on the ground. And they're, you know, the, the flight staff on the Southwest was like, well, everybody, you know, let's get everybody off the plane. Nobody got hurt. It was calm and orderly, you know, uh, disembarkation. Is that the word? Um, yes. And then they went in to take a look and it burned through the floor of the plane. <laughs> I hadn't heard that bit. <laughs> but the scary part, the really scary part, is that it was a a updated phone that he just bought on September twenty first, right. and was supposedly had like the marking on the package that says this is one of the good ones, not one of the bad ones. Right. Which makes me think. I've been wondering for a while with this fiasco, and people keep writing to me because I think people don't follow closely. If people get on an airplane, and apparently lately it's it around the world, you get on an airplane, and one of the things they say is if you have a Samsung Galaxy Note Seven, you must power it off now and keep it powered <laughs> off for the entire flight, which is right. terrible publicity. I mean, just dreadful. <laughs> it's Every, it's like the worst possible advertisement ever. I've seen people on Twitter saying that they're telling people out in the a- airport too that they're you know like the, you know when they're like, hey, we're gonna board you know flight uh, 677 is going to board in about 10 minutes oh and if you have a ga- galaxy note 7 you got to power it off <laughs> <laughs> please, uh, please, please board now if you get a galaxy 7 just throw it in the trash on your way in i've been wondering for a while how are they going to deal with this when there's good ones and bad ones and and you say oh no 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 i've got uh, i just got my new one uh it's got the green battery icon up in the corner it's it this one's good. Are they gonna are they gonna believe that or are they gonna be like, no way, buddy, you're turning it off? And yeah, now no, that they're there's not a gonna, report. They're not of gonna a, believe them. Are you kidding me? We couldn't for a decade we couldn't use our devices on planes just because they thought maybe, right. maybe something might interfere that they had no evidence of. So I don't I don't think so. My other thought with this news today that a quote unquote good Galaxy Note Seven caught fire on a plane is that they're gonna wreck this for everybody and they're just gonna say, You've got to turn all of your phones. <laughs> Powered, not just sleeping. You've got to power oh, them no. off 
before you step on the plane. And the, you know, whether they can make you do that or not, but they could certainly notice if you have it out and you're sitting in your seat and you're dicking around on your phone. And I don't know what I would do for them. <laughs> 20 or 30 yeah, that minutes. Is, God, that is the worst scenario. Oh, my God. Now you give me nightmares. Poor Nick Bilton. Undo all of his work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nick Bilton got us to be able to use our flights while we're landing. And now we're, I'm worried Samsung's going to wreck it for everybody. Well, I I know we got to wrap it up. I know the baseball game is starting, but I got to do a third sponsor, and then we can, we can talk about everything else you want to talk about for the rest of the show. Sounds but our good. third and final sponsor... Amazing coincidence, given what we'll be talking about in the next segment of the show. Uh, it really is a coincidence, but it's interesting. Is Eero, E-E-R-O. Eero uh, is a modern, new Wi-Fi system for your house. And the basic premise is one Wi-Fi router is not enough. It's not strong enough signal for most people's houses. Maybe if you live in a, a you know studio apartment or something like that, sure, you're fine. But if you have a house that has more than, more than one or two floors, or it has thick walls, or any sorts of things that can interfere with the signal, you might notice that there are parts of your house that don't get a good Wi-Fi signal. Eero was designed to change all of this. They make a single device. It's a small, elegant box about the size of an Apple TV, sort of Apple-style round rec design. And you just buy more than one of them. So I think like one of the basic packs that they recommend for most people based on square footage is you get a three-pack. You get three of these things. You hook one of them up to your cable. You put the other two strategically around the house. And you that that your work is done. You just the, it negotiates the the different pods negotiate with each other, and they just do the work to form a mesh network that blankets your home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. Uh, they sent me a three pack when they started sponsoring the show. I set it up. I set it up thinking, okay, I'll set this up, and then I'll go back to my uh, Apple whatever it's called. Uh, and I never went back to my airport. Uh, because the Eero system was as good or better at every single spot in my house. And I didn't, I really was more work to like unbox the devices and plug them in than it was to, to set it up. That's like you unbox it, you plug them in, and you're done. It's unbelievable. Uh, the configuration goes through a really nice iPhone app. So there's no, you know, command line typing or logging in through a stupid web browser at a certain port or something like that. You just get on the Eero app on your phone. Uh, could not be easier. They are protected with state-of-the-art WPA2 encryption. Of course, uh, Eero's update automatically. So if there's like a security update or a performance update, just updates by itself. Uh, it's so great. They have new fe- They have new features like parental controls where you can create profiles for your kids and you can manage what they, what and when they have internet access uh, to. It, just go check it out. I cannot tell you everything there is to know about this in the course of one little sponsorship read. Uh, just know that they more or less recommend one euro for every thousand square feet of your home. They've got more information on the website where you can figure out how many you want to new. And here's the most important thing of all, 30-day money-back guarantee. So buy one, see if it works. You've got 30 days to just put it back in a box, send it back to them, no questions asked, and it'll be done. Here's what you do to find out more. You've got to remember this promo code. It's the talk show, the talk show. Just go to Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com. And at checkout, uh, you select overnight shipping and that code, the talk show gets you overnight shipping. So depending on what time of day you're listening to me tell you this, you could have it by tomorrow for free shipping wise. So go check them out. Eero.com. Um, 
So I say coincidental because one of the products uh, Google announced at their event was called Google Wi-Fi, which is a thing that works a lot like, sounds like it works a lot like Eero, where you can buy more than one of these things. Uh, you spread them around your house and it, it gives you Wi-Fi and it does all the negotiation for you. Right. Um, and as I watched that part of the presentation, I've been thinking it ever since Eero sponsored the show, but watching Google say it is I began thinking, you know, it has been, I don't even remember the last time Apple has said a damn word about airport and airport is, seems like it's like outdated. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I did the same thing. I bought a pack of Eros and, or Eero, Eero, is it singular? How's, what's the plural? I don't Eero? know. I'm going to call them Eros. I, pack I'm gonna, of Eero. Okay. Like a pack of wild Eero, yeah. uh, a murder of Eros, and um, I I installed them, and I like them a lot. I mean, they generally cover well. Um, they cover areas of my house where I did not have coverage before. Even like I, I configured a handful of other extenders, like you know, an express attached to my extreme, and you know, blah blah blah, right? And none of those seem to work as well as the Eero. So you can just extend your Eero spot, I guess. <laughs> to cover this conversation but right. I, like i like it i like the concept a lot and yeah apple hasn't done a whole lot with that and it does seem like a very apple like concept oh just unplug plug this in and use an iphone app and you're done right and like that's like i could see an apple version of that where you take it out of the box and you plug it in and your iphone sees it over bluetooth you know le and says like oh hey do you want to set up your wi-fi now and you hit yes like the airpod connect thing yeah you know when you flip flip open the airpod case it pops up with a little white card and i could totally see like it makes total sense to have an apple system that works just like that um but they don't and it's still very complex and the airport utility is not user friendly and doesn't work half the time so it was so much better than what you used to be before you know if you were using like a cisco or you know mm -hmm. net netgear or something like that but it by today's standards and compared to like, you know airpods a perfect example you just open the case and you're not like it's like you're not picking like which gigahertz bluetooth to use which one is the least noise you're not picking you know like the way that with airport you're still supposed to pick between five gigahertz and 2.5 gigahertz and pick a channel and you don't have to do, why do you have to do any of this why can't the software just figure it out and it seems like you know that's certainly where Eero went and and that's seems like that's the exact description for google wi-fi um, mm -hmm. the thought I had though, is that right after Google Wi-Fi, they announced the Google, what's it called? The, the thing that you talk the to home. Yeah. Google home. I don't understand why those are separate products or at least why can't Google home. I understand that you wouldn't want to buy separate Google homes to be the pods that extend the Wi-Fi, but it seems to me like there were two teams that weren't talking to each other that should have been talking to each other. Cause maybe like your, your one, you know, base station should be the Google home. Yeah, I think the two teams thing is probably right, but I also think that they're they're aiming that as they're aiming that to be a product that people purchase that already have Wi-Fi routers and, yeah. and aren't really looking to buy new ones. I think that I could conceivably see the technology being built in into in the future where it's like, oh, hey, if you get a Google Home, guess what? It'll act as a Google Wi-Fi, and you yeah. can add on two more, and you'll be golden. But I don't think that that was their MVP. Yeah. You know? The other thought that occurred to me after I thought about it, that was my first impression is why are they showing me two white boxes that you plug in and, you know, <laughs> right. Right. But the other thought that occurred to me is uh, not just in my house, but it, I think in most people's houses, you 
might want to put them in very different spots. It seems like the Alexa type devices or the Echo type devices, a lot of people put them in the kitchen for obvious reasons, or they might put them. Yeah, mine's, put, mine's uh, on my bar. Uh, sounds like a good location. Uh, and that's not necessarily where your cable connection is coming in, where you could plug it into, you know, by Ethernet to just to get it the basic, you know, internet signal to begin with, which right. is probably in your living room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could see that. Uh, I don't yeah, that know. makes some sense. Do you think Apple is going to have something along these lines? Yeah, of course. I wonder how they're going to do it, and I wonder how imminent it is. Because at this point, at this point now that if Google's it was has, later than next year, I would be shocked. Right. I'm but thinking. I don't think it's this year. Personally, I, I don't think it's this year either. I think it maybe maybe like a March thing next year, where there's already rumors yeah, that there's going to be new iPads in March. Right. Yeah, that makes some sense. I mean, we gotta you know, if you <laughs> so many of the Macs haven't been updated in so many years that you know later this year has got to be Mac time. Later this month, maybe even, but the that's all the rumors, you know. But I don't see that it's kind of packed to put it in here, and I really see them setting it up in spring and then selling it into summer, and then it becomes like the big Christmas item because it's like, oh, you have an iPhone, this works great with yeah. it, or you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and you know, they're obviously not going to be first. Echo is going to get credit for being first. Uh Apple's often mm-hmm. not first, you know. It's uh you know, d- you know, depending on, on how your perception of what a smartphone is, they were either very late to smartphones or or they were the first one to come out with the first real smartphone. Right. And maybe well, that's I will tell you it- <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just think that, you know, th- it looks weird, though, now that they're behind more than one company in this regard. Yeah. Well, I, I can say that I think that, and I think you you can say if you had the same experience or maybe a different one than me, but I'll tell you, Siri works a hell of a lot better when it can hear you, and the iPhone is not a good listening device at all. Like, really bad, unless it's really quiet, which is why people, there's all these jokes about Siri not understanding you and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, Apple built their own voice team because they weren't really happy with the way that the voice was being interpreted um, by the nuance, which is what they were using. So they built their own team, they made their own software. And when you couple that with four microphones, like with the AirPods, and you have two sets of beam-forming, you know, be- lightly beam-forming microphones uh, combined with a little bit of, you know, bone conduction, a little bit of accelerometer to say, oh, your jaw's moving, you know, it's vibrating, you're talking. Like these signals that it's picking up and saying, hey, you're talking, to, you know, let's go, right? Let me listen carefully uh, and let me filter out the other noise and cancel all that out. It is really reliable. I mean, like the Siri commands that I give through my AirPods are incredibly rarely misinterpreted. You know, what happens after that is a whole nother conversation, right? But the actual picking up of the voice is very good, and that's the Echo's secret sauce. Mm. It has seven microphones in it. It's, you know, beam forms those the audio coming in to isolate that audio from other audio, which is why it can understand my kid, you know, and why it can understand me from over facing away from it 
towards the stove away from it in the you know kitchen of 15 feet away and they, it still picks it up just fine and starts my timer you know so i think that there's like some technological advancements there that will make siri you know kind of react and be more responsive uh, that i think people aren't you know picking up on quite yet but will once it launches um but I, if that that's got to be like you if you ask echo if you ask alexa or the echo something and she doesn't get it or she doesn't hear you you feel like a dope right like you feel like a real idiot like talking to nothing when nothing responds so like the adoption of these things is really going to depend on them answering you cuz the moment that sort of uh uh suspension of disbelief you know that you've got a a person on the other end of that artificial intelligence that wants to talk to you is broken it makes you feel dumb and Mm. people don't like to feel that way so i think that once you have hardware that can really with concrete surety pick you up listen to you and at least give you some response even to say oh i can't help you you know i think it's definitely going to be interesting and i think that apple has some stuff to offer there that isn't yet public you know, I, I think that there are components of Siri that people have not seen because Apple has chosen not to expose them uh, that will be very surprising uh, when they are actually, you know, rolled out or made available. Uh, that sounds to me like you know something. <laughs> I don't know nothing, John. <laughs> uh I have to say, I it's funny because I could talk to you because you and I both have at least quote unquote pre production AirPods, so we can compare. And everybody else is still left to speculate on what the experience is like. The longer I go with them, the more I love them, and I do miss having playback controls on a thing that I can like triple click to like fast forward thirty seconds or something like that, um, but not too much. And you can use Siri to say next track and it works really well. And there is a delay. It takes a little bit longer than clicking a button. Um, But not so much that I mind it. The one thing I miss on the AirPods compared to uh, my either any previous headphones I've had that have had some kind of controls on the wires is the volume control because you can't, you have to use your phone to do the volume or your watch. Uh, You can't even use Siri. Like I tried it. You, double tap and said, Siri, turn it up two clicks. And she says, I can't do that for you. Um, if you have an, if you're an Apple watch wear and you have your Apple watch on it's, and I always do when I go running, you start to get used to that. And it's like, that's where you go to the, but even there, it's like, if I'm listening to overcast, it's like when I first turn my watch up, I've got the workout app is going and I've got to tap a couple times, you know, I've got to tap the side button to get to the playback controls. So you just can't just go to the watch and tap, tap to make it louder because, uh, you know, I'm in a noisy part of the city and there's more traffic. But mm-hmm. other than the volume control, I like the AirPods better than my, any previous headphones that I've used with my phone in every single regard. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the, obviously, the number one question is always, does it fall out? And the answer is no. And people refuse to believe you because there's just nothing to pull them out, right? There's no mass. There's no cord attached. Um, you know, they they have little, very little mass themselves. And even when I get sweaty, you know, doing run on the treadmill or whatever, it doesn't. You know, it's fine. They stay. I mean, I wouldn't recommend them as workout earbuds. That's why they have the Beats, right? right? But they are pretty good. And so I know some. I have a friend who's like in love with the earpods right he's like before the earpods no 
headphones fit my ears, right? And, you know, maybe he's weird and maybe we're all not weird or whatever, but he loves them. So he's like super, super stoked to get the the AirPods because he loves the shape. But I, I have people talk to me on the exact opposite spectrum where they just don't fit their ears at all you know the the ear pods the regular ear pods and i'm like i tell them flat out look dude if those don't fit your ears you know these are not going to fit either you know so don't go there it's just not worth it right now whether you're spending the money or try them on or whatever you know here try these on but other than that fit question like most people just are really excited and i honestly have not a whole lot of bad things to say they're loud they're crisp, like they sound good. I think personally, the the sound quality is a little bit better than you know an, an earpod. Um, and I, yeah, I, I agree with you. The volume and forward and back track controls are my biggest peeve. And if they could find a way to do that with touch, I would be I would be set. Yeah, like if they could do keep the double click for Siri and maybe let let you assign triple and quadruple tap i don't know i think like a single tap and hold maybe if they could detect a hold i don't know you know uh like if they could detect oh you didn't release your finger from it it seems like they could but that's because of the accelerometer but it's the only loss for me or only con for me and you know again your mileage is going to vary on fit i don't know what to tell you but if you know i'm with you if you if you either can abide by the wired earbot airpods from apple or you even like them you're going to love the airpods Mm-hmm. And it's like um, <laughs> it's like the idea. I'm I'm at the point already where the idea of having a wire connecting my headphones to my phone it seems preposterous. Oh my god, it feels so annoying. It's so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying. Like so, I have the Bluetooth. I have a Bluetooth set of Beats, the over ears, um, that I noise cancellation that yep. I use for airplane flights, and then I have the Bose, like the you know. Uh, C25s, yeah. yeah, the QC, QC25, whatever they are, right? The quiet comforts, um, and which are nice. And then I have a, a set of wireless Jaybird X2s, um, which technically still have a wire between them, but they're the workout ones, kind of yeah. like the Beats configuration, you know, the workout yeah. things. But the Jaybirds are great. They're like a really great set of workout ear, wireless earbuds. But the way that these work, I mean, even the other ones, the other stuff that goes in your ear, I have never been true, you know, hugely fond. I have a pair. Of those hears, I don't know if you're familiar no, with this. Never There's heard. a startup called Here, and How do you spell these that? aren't. Uh, I think just Here, like H E A R. Okay. Um, and the the startup is it's not a headphone. It's a microphone that takes the audio coming in and filters it for you. So it's like augmented ears, like cyborg ears. So you plug them in. They have a little microphone on the outside, and they grab the sound and process it and put it into your ears. So like, let's say you go to a concert and you want to turn down the volume, you put your ears in and you just grab your iPhone and go do, 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 do. And it turns down the exterior volume. It's pretty wild actually. That's crazy. Oh no, I love them. I mean, it's like you, if you're at a, a place where like, you know, I got, I went to see Hamilton, right. And I got stuck up in the rafters like everybody, but I just got really lucky and, and got a, affordable ticket before it really exploded but you could you put those things in and you can just you could filter out the people around you because they're talking quieter and just pick up the louder noises which is the people you know speaking from the stage and it feels like they're right in front of you it's actually a pretty crazy cool technology but those are the the ones that i've had the most experience with just sitting in the ear and i can tell you they feel like you feel them right they're there 
you know, and maybe they'll get lighter and better over time. This is just a startup, but um, the AirPods are a totally different bag because they're so light. They're so, you know, they're not even there. You really forget you're wearing them. And it's just throwing those in, picking them out of the case and throwing them in is just the amount of freedom there is is insane. It's really yeah. nice. And the battery life is for me has been amazing. I, I almost never remember to charge the damn thing. And the case was still at 28% and the headphones were at hundred percent. So anyway, can't wait for everybody else to get them. But I, I really, the longer I use them, the more big a fan I am. Uh, before we wrap up, anything else you want to talk about? Do you want to, do you want to quick drop your guesses to who's going to buy Twitter? <laughs> Disney. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's an equal. So we reported that Disney was looking right. So we, we asked around and we heard, yes, Disney is looking at it and has been looking at it for a while. Um, we were we were pretty close on doing it. And then um, I think Bloomberg or somebody scooped us, but that's fine. You know, stuff happens. Um, but anyhow, we heard it. The Disney side of thing is like, there's a lot of pluses and negatives. And it's just like worlds collide for me, right? Because I'm a huge fan of the company, you know, what they've done in, in historical methodology. Uh, these days I can't be a fan because I'm, we report on various aspects of the company. So I'm more just like, a, you know, fascinated with it. Right. Um, but I, I am fascinated with a lot of aspects of that company from, you know, their, the movies to the, to the TV business, to the parks and, and, uh, on so on and so forth. Right. But I think that it's, there's some real easy alignments and there's some real hard cliffs yes. to that happening. And I just don't know which one would win out. You know, right. the biggest the biggest one, which we I mentioned in our in our story about it, was that Twitter is supposed to be agnostic when it comes to media companies, right? Aside from special deals like they cut with NFL or whatever to broadcast stuff. But they're supposed to be like, oh hey, we did this with the NFL, we can do it with you too. But Disney's a huge media company. So if they buy Twitter are they isolating it from the rest of the media landscape? And that's probably the biggest like check in the no I, column. I've been saying for years that one of the most amazing things about Twitter that I think people overlook is how ubiquitous the IDs are for people who are famous. Like if you watch sports or you watch news, right. and I watch both sports and especially in election year, I watch the news. When people come on to commentate on, you know, who won the debate or who, what do you think about Buck Showalter not putting Zach Britton in the, in the game? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They tell you the Twitter name of everybody who's on TV. They'll say, you know, here's Jimmy Rollins, for, you know, former shortstop. Uh, here's his Twitter name. Everybody's Twitter name is up there. Does that happen? Does, does TNT Sports put the Twitter handles up for these people right. when Twitter's owned by the company that also owns ESPN. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, and that's a lot of the, you know, that's a lot of the value in Twitter to me. I don't know quite how you connect that ubiquity and this sort of, this is the default, you know, Facebook would love to have that, but they don't like the Twitter at names is a huge thing. And it's a way to say, Hey, if you want to connect yeah. to this person online, you do it on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, that's a huge part of the value. I don't know how you quite connect it to making money, but it certainly is part of the value. Because to me, fundamentally, the thing that's valuable is attention. I, you know, I've this is the central John Gruber central theory of the media <laughs> is that <laughs> attention, attention more than money is the is the foundation currency because it's the one thing that there's a limit to. Each person multiplied by the number of hours a day that they're awake. That's the total amount of attention that's possible. Uh, mm -hmm. Twitter has a lot of it, and yeah, 
I, I don't know how you connect it to monetization, but it's got to be possible. And I could see Disney doing it, but I do. I, I have the same fear as you, where I feel like they could they could kill the golden goose because it, just by buying it, it takes away the ubiquity of the presence that people have. Yeah, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that Twitter shot itself in the foot from almost day one by obeying the industry's metrics. Yep. By by treating the, the yep. MAU as the god of all dis- product decisions and and data, and if it had re- realized or recognized or embraced early on its nature as a place for people to have a strong identity and to contribute to a a conversation, but also a place that welcomes passive viewership and it's doing that now or trying to reposition itself as that now but it's hard to do that right you can't you're got to sell an advertiser on the fact that oh, okay we only have 300 or 280 million users or whatever but those 280 million users are creating uh you know a billion users worth of content right and and that it's hard to like sell that as a package if you have it if that hasn't been your your premise from the beginning and that's it's rough you know right. you you're you're treating these logged out users trying to now say hey these are value like the viewer on ESPN who's seeing the tweet like that's still value right it's still attention it's still all of that stuff but yeah you know monetization is a huge problem there because it's like how do you connect those disparate entities beyond ad tracking and and that sort of thing um but i, I i've always felt strongly that that twitter's biggest play should have been around identity mm-hmm. you know because like what do you, your identity online used to be if you were an quote unquote online person it used to be your url right like if you were early early to the internet you had an email address and a url or you know one or the other or both and today almost nobody has a url because creating websites is sort of like too much effort right it's too much anxiety to maintain and expensive and everything else instead there's so many services that cover so many millions or billions of people that you can create an identity by simply signing up for one like twitter and saying this is my identity and there are people like that on facebook but they're it's much rarer than on twitter like if you yeah. google almost anybody's name that has any sort of basic activity on twitter their twitter handle is going to give you everything you need to know about them Probably, yeah. you know, in in at, at a glance, um, like where they work, what do they do, what do they tweet about all day, what do they talk about all day, what are their interests, um, you know, what are they interested in, what are they not interested in. You could go one level deeper and look at their faves to see kind of what their tastes are in humor or in you know in news or you know whatever, right? Or who they follow, etc. Um, but no other network on the planet offers that. Facebook doesn't offer that because it was based. It, its core base was like, oh, networks of people who already know each other. And Twitter is like networks of people that, that you're strangers, you know, that don't know each other until you do, until you look at their profile and all of a sudden you get a, at least a basic picture of who they are. And that, that play, I think, is very interesting. And that's something that Disney, I think, actually has a better ability to understand than a lot of the other buyers who might want to treat it more of like a marketing channel. You know, or or attack that angle of it, which I don't think is as strong for Twitter's future, and I'm not as bullish about that. Yeah, I agree. I I don't quite see the all the dots that connect from here to there, where where Twitter is a thriving 
Disney property, but I, I, my intuitive, my intuition says that there is a path. I don't know. I can't describe it in detail, but my intuition says that there's a path there and that, you know, may, and they, you know, obviously they could screw it up in a, a hundred different ways, but that there's potential there that I, I'm more optimistic than just about anybody else who's about Disney owning Twitter than just about anybody else who's been named. And I almost feel like it would be better than Twitter remaining independent at this point because it seems like Twitter is. <laughs> well, I don't other- think that's an option, to be honest. No. I really don't at this point. And, you know, we'll see. I think, but it smells like it's going to happen soon. It just seems like, boy, there's, an, I see reports every couple of days about progress being made on this and action on Twitter's board part, on a part of Twitter's board to start, you know, listening to bids and doing the math and stuff like that. Right. I think that what you end up with is you have, you have the monetary, you know, the math side of things. Then you have the, the how does it fit like is it a distraction right because when you're a company as big as disney and you have a big pot of money to play with or debt you know that you can borrow on uh, to to kind of buy what you want and make your own choose your own destiny it it, uh, at some point becomes a question of is this additive or is it subtractive like is it a distraction sure we could buy it we can afford it it makes some sense as a holistic business and we see how we can maybe make a little bit better better business of it but is it a distraction and one of the like one of the things that i like to look at in historically with disney is their purchase of the channel that would become abc family Hmm. um which was a disaster like it was a boondoggle from the beginning right like the from the moment the hands were shook in in Sun Valley to, you know, the six times it was reprogrammed to try and be like, oh, this is, we're going to aim it at girls, we're going to aim it at tweens, we're going to aim it at, you know, 25 to 35, we're going to, you know, all of these reprogramming and stuff is just a huge boondoggle to try to get that thing successful. And they they just really went wrong, like from the very beginning. And it was a distraction. And they could have probably created it wholesale. You know, it's just a cable channel and it costs so much angst and firings and, you know, attention subtracted from the rest of the business. And that, I think, is the equation that goes through their head when they look at something like Twitter. It's like, yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. It's a property that has a very extremely, you know, unique amongst all other internet properties value. But is it a distraction for us? And if the answer is yes, it's better not to do it, even if all other things said, it's an interesting buy. <laughs> it also occurs to me when Disney and their properties start getting into t- technology. <laughs> Is it occurs to me this anecdote? I linked to it. I forget when I linked to it. It was a while ago, but here's somebody who's referencing my link to it. Um, looks like it was back in 2011. Um, from a, a book about inside ESPN. Those guys have all the fun inside the world of ESPN. Uh, The story goes that ESPN president George Bodenheimer attended the first Disney board meeting in Orlando, Florida, just after the company had bought Pixar, the innovative Mm -hmm. animation factory. And he spotted Apple CEO Steve Jobs in a hallway. It seemed like a good time to introduce himself. Hi, I'm George Bodenheimer, he said to Jobs. I run ESPN. Jobs just looked at him and said nothing other than, your phone is the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard. Turned and walked away. <laughs> that yeah, was, that's a great one. I'll I include a link. One. They've got a picture to it. It was, in fact, tying things together. It was a Samsung phone. Of course it was. <laughs> oh. 
Uh, All right, we classic. got we got baseball to watch. We've yeah, the short episode has gone an hour and forty eight minutes. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to mention before we drop off? No, I'm good. I'm good. I can just tell you, I've I've made last minute. Can you do my show requests to people before? And but never as last minute as literally this one was. And I I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Uh, but my it pleasure. also it's a perfect. I just feel like it was a perfect week to have you on. So I I, I thank you, Matthew. People can get all the Panzerino they want at uh, TechCrunch, where he's uh, kicking ass with these scoops. And then on Twitter, uh, how do you spell your Twitter handle? Uh, Panzer. P-A-N-Z-E-R. Even though your real surname is spelled with an A in there. But people will figure it out. Yeah, it's extremely confusing. People will figure it out. So my thanks to you and my thanks to uh, uh, the terrific sponsors we had this week. We had uh, Fracture. Go get your pictures printed on glass. Uh, Igloo, get yourself an intranet for your team. And last but not least, Eero, E-E-R-O, where you can set up uh, a much better home Wi-Fi. There we go. You got it.